Hi, welcome to Honest Talk about adoption and abortion. This week we have my friend M, who's going to talk with us a little bit about her experiences adopting her son from Guatemala. I hope you enjoy it. Why did you want to adopt internationally? We were a little afraid of the open adoptions, to be honest. You know, we knew people who had adopted kids locally and you know, had relationships kind of ongoing with the birth mother. Usually, mm-hmm. I don't think the birth fathers were very much involved, but yeah. in some cases, those seem to be good relationships, but in some uh-huh. cases, they seem to be a lot of problem with boundaries. We were just uncomfortable with that. So we decided on international, and we started looking at different countries and what sort of the options were at different places. And um, we had been traveling in Nepal and really loved that. So we looked into Nepal as a place, and the process was just really arduous. You had to have two trips and um, just a lot of... And we'd been through the bureaucracy there with trying to get trekking permits, so we were a little daunted by that piece. Mm-hmm. Um, And then we were looking at Guatemala because it was close by and we felt like we could learn Spanish and our child could learn Spanish and be more connected to his culture. We knew we wanted a boy. Um, And then that we could travel there and visit and help, you know, keep those ties. And also, I think one of the primary things that was attractive about it was that the children were in foster care and not in orphanages. Mm-hmm. So we thought that would really help with, you know, attachment issues and all of those right. concerns that come up in other other countries. And it was also supposed to be a really quick process. It was supposed to complete in like three months, at most six months. So you'd get a three-month-old baby or a six-month-old baby. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you'd have that time with an infant rather than an older child. But so it, that was, but it didn't. But it didn't like none that, of that did ended it? up being yeah. the way we had thought it was going to be. The process took a, a full year. When we got him, he had scabies, which is a skin parasite, which you know is apparently pretty common in you know poor countries. He also had lice, and it wasn't clear that he'd had much. I know, we just couldn't really tell what kind of life it had been. It, fe- it felt like the foster mother was quite poor and doesn't mean she can't provide love, but he wasn't certainly growing up in a house where he was being read to or anything. I think the things that make me angry about it is, you know, we sent down lots of clothes and books and stuff, and I don't know that any of that got to her. And we had decided to name him what we named him, and we asked the foster mother and the folks in Guatemala to name him, call him that. I mean, he was only a month old at that point, and they didn't. Um, I don't know if the message never got to her or if they just didn't think it mattered or didn't want to do it, but they called him um, the very American name that the birth mother had given him because... Apparently, at the time, in Guatemala, the birth mothers were told that if they named their kid an American name, they would be more likely to be adopted to the U.S. And and that choosing of the name felt like an important part of what we wanted as parents, to be able to feel like, you know, that's a a big deal when you're a parent to name your child. 
So the adoption process was awful. Yeah, it was really horrible. It was really painful because every month we'd get a picture and an update on you know weight and height and all that and you know, but he just wouldn't come. It didn't come. You know, waiting and waiting and every month we thought, oh well, this will be the month because it's been five months, it's been six months. Surely this will be the month, and then it wasn't. And finally, we just went down there. We we're like, we're just gonna go there and stay until it's done. And you know, we went down there and. A week later, the paperwork came through, and a week after that, we were home. Do you feel like going down there helped that? I, I don't know. Maybe. can't really tell. You know, at one point in the middle of the process, we considered hiring these guys like facilitators down there. They sort of ride herd on the notario. In uh, Central America and South America, notarios are much much more like a lawyer than a notary is here. You know, they're, they're, mm. they do a lot more than just mm. sign things. So that... That was the desperation you were feeling. Yeah, and but we were worried because you know there were also these. He had so much power, this notario, over our case, and there had been you know situations where, you know, if the notario got mad, they would like pull the plug on it or something. I don't know. We were just worried. My sister-in-law, actually, my husband's brother's wife, is from Guatemala, and she was down there, and she went to the notario's office to try to you know go and visit our son at the foster home. And the Tatario got really mad and said no, and... Do you know why? Well, now, in retrospect, I think it was probably because he was living in abject poverty. Okay, yeah. He didn't want her to see Same. the conditions he was living in. Because we would have been furious, and we would have gone down there and, and done something about it. But, you know, at the time, we were just so worried that he was going to pull the plug on the process. And... You know, we'd already bonded to the photograph, at least, <laughs> of our son. The photographs, right? Photographs. Yeah. You know, in our hearts, he was already ours, and we just felt so powerless. And then he showed up in not great condition. Yeah. I mean, it was tough. You know, every time we put him down, and like we were at this hotel that had like a grassy courtyard, and every time we put him down in the grass, he would start to cry, and I just really felt like he'd never seen grass before. Mm. And I was just like, oh, I just... You know, it kicks all your guilt in, like, oh, we should have gone and done something about this sooner. And you couldn't have known. And we didn't know that that was what was the system was like. And, you know, and then, you know, we're here reading all these books about kids and attachment and all the things to do, and, and they're not, you know. The foster mother, we wanted to, you know, all the recommendations were to have, like, a full day of sort of transition, spend the day with the foster mother and, and have the baby see, you know, that you're have a you know that there's a person a relationship there and and we tried to do that we're like can't you stay won't you stay no they had to go they were leaving you know she looked dropped him off she wasn't even going to say goodbye to him she was just going to walk out and I was like can you at least tell him you know I didn't speak Spanish and he was a year old right proto-Spanish tell him that you know we love him and we're going to take care of him and the adoption process really sounds horrible for you. It was really horrible. You know, I just think he was so traumatized by it. And we were traumatized by it. I mean, it wasn't what we had envisioned. You know, we'd imagined sort of this happy moment where we all, you know, become a family. And then, of course, reality is you have a, a one-year-old who has no idea who you are, mm -hmm. <laughs> never seen you before. You smell funny. You look funny. And, you know, God knows what his 
subconscious brain was thinking was going. You know, when you read about international adoption, I mean, that is something they talk about. It's not just my personal guilt about not mm-hmm. getting down there sooner. I think, you know, when, when you hear about alien abduction, you know, it's very similar, right? This is, in yeah. many ways for these kids, yeah. kind of an alien abduction. And because it's all so foreign and you don't have a transition time that you can work into it. There is, and then, you know, people discount it. They say, oh, they're only a year old. They don't remember. And it's like, no, they don't remember, like, linear, but they remember kind of somatically. Like, Was there a benefit for them keeping your son longer? Like, were you paying them monthly like, no, longer? No, I don't think so. I think it was the opposite, actually. I mean, they ex- you pay this sort of fixed fee, and they expect the adoption to be done in, you know, three to six months. And so right. the fee doesn't change. So they still have to pay the foster mother. But maybe they've paid her a fixed fee so they don't care. I don't really know what yeah. she got paid. But, uh, you know, I don't know that she got more, you know, if she continued to get paid past the six right. months or if it was a one-time payment or, or what. I don't really know how that system huh. worked. Or maybe the, maybe the fact that they were late on other payments was part of why she was so impoverished. Yes, that too. Interesting. Well, and also I think it was a way for people to get incredibly wealthy. You know, the notarios made a, a huge amount of money relative to the standard of living. And so they were motivated to have as many cases going as they could possibly have. It's an interesting, like, kind of juxtaposition between uh, human trafficking and, yeah. and adoption. Because the birth mother gets nothing. Of course, they can't pay her. They can't? No, it's illegal to pay the birth mother. Um, oh, because that would be human that trafficking. That would be buying children. But you pay this lawyer person to manage it, and you pay them a huge amount of money. And Well, not anymore. Now it's closed. UNICEF pushed really hard to get the Hague Convention on International Adoption ratified there, and that puts in place a whole bunch of rules and systems. And there was, there was a weird rule about a picture, too, Oh, right? yeah. yeah. They, so they were one of the things in Guatemala was that there was um, fraud going on because... It was a popular place to adopt from. It was the second most popular after China. And that baby, the allegation was that babies were being, you know, stolen and put up for adoption. So at a certain point, I'm not sure where it was within the Guatemalan adoption process, but the birth mother has to come back and have a DNA test and have a photo taken holding the baby. Did they tell you about that at the beginning, or that was like a surprise at the end? I think they told us about that, but I didn't expect the photograph of the birth mother holding him. It seemed oddly cruel to make them come together and have a photograph taken. Yeah. Cruel for everyone. It's, it's bureau- classic bureaucracy doing something they thought to like address one problem without thinking about the impacts on the people involved. This sounds really, really painful. <laughs> yeah, well, it was I, just so long. Well, you were you wanted a child, and... And then once we had it, you know, it wasn't like you can get, like, halfway through and say, okay, this is just taking too long, let's go do something else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Some people do. Some people do. Yeah. We couldn't have done that. I mean, I yeah. was, you know, committed to him from the moment I saw his That's photo. True. And then, to, you know, I keep getting the updates and... And then have it just go on and on and on. And then when we, when we do finally... Um, bring him home to have it be so hard was a, such a surprise. Um, probably shouldn't have been. I think if there'd been more, better training, the uh, at-home adjustment being so hard wouldn't been so 
shocking to us. But, mm -hmm. yeah. What training would you have liked? Um, you know, we had to do like one weekend workshop for adoptive parents and and then like a home study. I think that was it. You know, none of it was that, that real. You know, and we had a lot of, at the weekend thing, we had to go to a lot of stuff about attachment and the kids, you know, getting the kids to attach to you. And they never talked about the parents attaching to the child, which was not automatic for us. Yeah, I was, I was wondering if, like, the huge delay actually affected your ability to bond with him as well as his ability to bond yeah. with you. Well, and, and it, it, ha it gave a longer time to sort of create a fictional person, you know, this fictional little boy mm -hmm. who, you know, the real little boy, you know, he wasn't any better or worse than the fictional kid, but he just wasn't, he was, he was his own mm -hmm. self. And I think maybe more honesty about the difficulties, about the trauma and the potential for it not to be a seamless <laughs> transition. Yeah, and, and the potential for the child to be, you know, have problems or you, mm -hmm. the parents have problems attaching to it. And, you know, I remember the woman who gave the weekend workshop talking about how I think she had maybe one or two biological children and, and adopted the third. Mm -hmm. And I remember calling her like three months after we got home with our son and saying, you know, you said, you know, she maybe had mentioned something about the parents attaching. It's like, I thought you said you loved this child as much as your biological children, and I, I'm not feeling that. And she goes, oh, well, you know, it takes a while. It wasn't instantaneous. And I was like, well, you never said that. Mm. <laughs> I was like, you know, it would have been nice to know that not attaching instantly is normal. I think that's part of what we're doing here. Yeah. Is trying to share information like that to support people. Yeah. You deserve to have that support. Yeah, well, and I think to know that it's not normal and that it might take a while and then it might you might actually have to work at it as opposed to, you know, the way, you know, when our daughter was born, it was instantaneous. But I, she'd been carrying around for nine months, right? Mm -hmm. And you'd been anticipating her, but in a different way. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, to have it not happen sort of instantaneously and have it take some effort to create those bonds was such a surprise. Even though it had taken you a year yeah. for him as yes. opposed to nine months. Exactly, her. but he isn't, hadn't been sort of with me, right? Um, yeah, the idea of him had been a year, not him not actually him physically. Actually. Yeah. yeah, and I think it was even harder for my husband. I think that attachment to second children or even first children is not automatic even when they're biological. People mm -hmm. talk about that. Mm -hmm. so. Well, we kind of have this this mythology about like the duck, right? You know, that comes out of the shell and sees the chicken and is like instant, you know, or whatever. The, yeah. Sees the snake and is like, oh, it's my mother. And you know, like we have this right. mythology around it. It's and it's fascinating to think of that. You know, that's that's just because we don't understand it, right? <laughs> and all the training is about you know kids with attachment disorders and how to get them to be more connected to you and all the things you should do. And they never talk about parents going, oh, wait a minute, this doesn't, 
this isn't matching my vision. Mm -hmm. um, so that would have been helpful because then you wouldn't have felt like such a bad parent. But at the same time, he was also, you know, it was very hard because he was waking up all the time and crying all night. And so I think really that, that stress in the household as well. And every time we went anywhere, we had to bring like extra clothes because he would start crying and he would cry so hard he would throw up. So he threw up all the time. Wow. <laughs> so we just constantly changing. So if there was one takeaway, if there's more than one, I know, but what would it be? What would your, your advice be for people doing international adoption? Go in with your eyes open and, and try to lower your expectations. And be patient with yourself. Mm -hmm. I mean, it took us, I'd say, probably a full year before we felt like we kind of reached a new level of stability in the household. It was hard to hard to do that. And I, I think also what, what I didn't do is find a good support group early on. And, and I still struggle with trying to find that because, to be honest, I don't really want to go to, like, adoption group meetings and talk about it the whole time because I find it draining. But at the same time, you know, people who understand the situation, it's nice to have that. Even with my first child, I remember like being at the zoo by myself with the baby in the stroller and like, this is really not great. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is very lonely. So finding other moms, even if they're not of adopted kids, would have been good for me. I just didn't quite know how to do that. Thanks for listening to Honest Talk about adoption and abortion. If you know of any families that are struggling with an international adoption, maybe this episode would help them out. Um, and please take a look on Facebook and find us. We're at Honest Talk about adoption and abortion at Facebook or on Patreon at HT Adopt. Thanks very much and see you soon. Take care.